0: Hi, and welcome to the Samuel and (laughs) Manuel movie (laughs) podcast. It's it's late. It's a stumble out of the gate. It's the first line. It's the first line (laughs) of stumble. I am not editing that. We are keeping that. You know what you're listening to. I'm Sam Reimer. I'm Manny Manuel. So, unrelated to what you've just heard, it is currently 11 o'clock here in Calgary. 11 (laughs) o'clock p.m. Uh, We're... Manny and I are doing the, the Red Eye podcast tonight, so uh, expect many a stumble from here on out. It was the only night we could make work uh, in our respective very busy schedules, so we've decided to, to call it a late one. We've It's, it's Octo- or October 9th, 2018, close to 11 o'clock here in Calgary. We've just watched the Boston Red Sox beat the New York Yankees in a, <laughs> in a stunning fashion <laughs> in the form of the ALDS. That's stunning. Yeah. Some people were stunned. Well, <laughs> Those people are fucking idiots. Yeah, I didn't watch the game. I was at work. I definitely uh, watched the game. Yeah. So, uh, let's... Well, Manny, would you like to introduce the topic for tonight? For sure.
1: This is one... Uh, this is our third one? This is our third one?
0: Uh, I don't know. We spend so so little mm-hmm. time doing these. It's it's always so difficult to get these lined up because they are so much work to get together, but they are so much fun. Oh, they're I'll, so fun. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll well, back, either which, way... Which, We're revisiting the 2006
1: Academy Award Best Picture nominees, the movies from 2005. The five Best Picture nominees from this year are Capote, Crash, Brokeback Mountain... Good night and good luck, and Munich. We are going to discuss them. We are going to break them down. We are going to talk about them. And then, at the end, we are going to discuss with now, what would this be, 12 years? 12 years hindsight, which one should now be named Best Picture? Or did they get it right in 2006 when Crash was named Best Picture? Keep listening and find out what uh, your two heroes think.
0: Everybody is hanging on our every word. I yeah, know. I'm looking I'm looking at the uh the different academy awards years right right now. It looks like we started on the 80th with uh No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Atonement uh and whichever other two that I can't see at the current moment. And then we went on to uh the 79th where we tackled uh Oh, what yeah, won that year, The Departed. That's right. And ah, now uh, So this now is we're the... off.
1: I th- I thought we did I thought we
0: did 3, so I was I was right. All right, perfect. I can't believe we've only done three of these things. Each one feels like it's just so much work. I'm surprised we've only done that few, and they're uh, they're cornerstones in our lineup. I know, and this is like We're trying to make them cornerstones. Yes,
1: um, because we love doing them so much. But yeah, it, they are they are daunting. But I don't think uh, I don't think the next one should be that hard to get done. But we'll see. Yeah. Well, Manny
0: and I were just talking about this off air. I'm just the worst procrastinator on planet Earth. And I just we keep delaying it because I can't find the time or don't want to find the time to watch the movies. I told him to set a deadline, and I'll do it. And sure enough, I procrastinated to the last minute, and crushed <laughs> out four movies last night, and uh, one this morning before work. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we are ready to get it done. Should be noted, I have not seen a single one of these movies before, so I am uh, I am pretty fresh on all of these.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm I'm very excited to hear your takes on all of these. So let's dive right in. Uh, we are going to do what we always do. We're going to go alphabetically. So leading us off, "Brokeback
0: Mountain." I should uh, I should just ask: Are we doing spoiler, non-spoiler, or are we just spoiling no. it right? Out of the game?
1: Oh yeah, we should definitely talk right now. We're spoiling the shit out of everything. We're not going to do spoiler, non-spoiler. We're going to talk about every aspect of these movies. We're going to spoil the shit out of them. So if you haven't seen any of these five Best Picture nominees, I suggest you turn off this podcast now. Oh, oh.
0: Maybe, maybe like watch three of them. You'll figure out which three by listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Four? I uh, four. 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 Four movies.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting you said three because I would say four. Okay, so let's dive okay. in. First up on our docket is Brokeback Mountain. It was directed by Ang Lee. The writers, it was based on the story by Annie Proulx. Uh, Screenwriters are Larry McMurdy and Diana Asana. It had an 87 Metascore. It had a minuscule budget of $14 million. It made 83 in the U.S. and it won 101. (laughs) It gained 178 worldwide. Uh, At the Oscars that year, it won Best Director for Ang Lee, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Score. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Heath Ledger, Best Supporting Actor for Jake Gyllenhaal, Best Supporting Actress for Michelle Williams, and Best Cinematography. Uh, Sam, you've never seen Brokeback despite its cultural relevance and all of that. Tell us your thoughts after watching Brokeback for the first time.
0: Yeah, so uh, I've sort of felt a little bit guilty for having not watched this movie for a long time because I know it is such a cornerstone in, uh, in American cinema it's just one of those movies i feel like you can't really find an excuse to watch like what there's there's never a night you're just like hey fellas like let's have a couple of beers uh maybe uh put put on a movie let's put on brokeback mountain sort of thing it's just not really a social sort of movie it's a very intimate personal movie and i never really found the found an opportunity to or or an excuse to watch it now having watched it i feel really guilty because this movie is incredible um I, I guess I shouldn't uh, spoil where it lies in my ranking, but I'm sure it won't be a surprise to you or, uh, or the listeners. Do you have something to say?
1: I did. Actually, the one thing I forgot. I forgot to say the plot synopsis before we, jump, before we oh, jumped in. Please. So the plot synopsis means, is the story of a forbidden and secretive relationship between two cowboys and their lives over the years. I'm sorry, Sam. Please continue with your thoughts on the film.
0: Uh, One thing that I will say that I didn't really expect, but maybe I should have from a movie about gay cowboys made in 2005, like, obviously, this was a controversial movie when it came out, even Mm -hmm. in in some respects, it's still controversial today. It's pretty watered down. It's not really, if you compare it to something like Moonlight, it's really, I mean, there are more straight sex scenes than gay sex scenes in this movie. There's, I think one gay sex scene, there's maybe a couple of gay kisses, but... Uh, overall most of them are opposite sex uh, most of the scenes that we see in this movie so it, it's relatively watered down um, and I mean at the time it probably had to be um, but I, I can't really criticize it for that and I'm not criticizing it for that it's just something I maybe uh, didn't expect with you know whatever it is 13 years hindsight
1: with all the hoopla surrounding yeah, back. Like, I, be- I, so- I bet you since you hadn't seen it with everything that everybody talks about now seeing it I bet you, especially someone of your generation that, because for you, you really enjoyed um, Call Me By Your Name uh, and yeah. Moonlight. So seeing this, you're you're probably looking at it now as like, I don't see what the big deal was. Yeah, that's exactly what I Not remember. in regards to its cultural relevance, but yeah. the actual stuff depicted on screen yeah. for as you. Far as,
0: as far as where the controversy is concerned, I mean, you, I think leading into the, I think I asked you leading into this movie, like, how, how graphic does it get? And you described the scene where they have sex for the first time. And I'm like, really? And no, that, that can't be it. And it's just so tame. It's so nothing. And like, I can't believe people are getting bent out of shape about this, but uh, I, people... so you <laughs> would have been what, eight when this came out. Sorry. You would have been eight years old, nine years old. Uh, yeah. Pro- just if it came out in 2005, I was uh, eight turning nine. There was
1: yeah. massive controversy yep. over this movie. Yep. Um. Yep. There was there was a couple theaters in, um, if I'm not mistaken, in Utah that actually refused to show it.
0: Yeah, and defending their traditional family values, uh-huh. which you know is ironic from the state that has the highest Mormon population on Earth. But yes. that's okay. <laughs> um, I actually remember this movie coming out and uh, my parents uh, talking about it and watching it. I was watching the Oscars this year with my parents when Crash won. Um, spoiler alert: if you're still watching the Oscars from 2006. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, I, I remember all the hoopla surrounding this movie, and uh, I definitely didn't see what it was all about uh, is, in terms of the controversy. The the movie itself was quite good. I, I was also interested to see um, that I found the least interesting parts of this movie, at least in the early stages, to be when they were together. The where the movie gets interesting, or at least where it gets most interesting for me, is where they're apart and they have to hide their true selves and the length that they have to go to to appear normal. And the movie is really about, in my eyes, just the the double, basically the double lives that they're lead, leading and how they have to put on these straight personas and they have to, they have to play the game, they have to raise the family, they have to marry the pretty wife, and they just are they're. Hiding who they really are the entire time, and that's sort of where uh, the interesting interestingness of this movie sort of uh, came through for me. Because at the beginning, it's just so, it's all well and good; it's like, like everything's fine. They're just in love, and like, don't get me wrong, it's passionate and it's emotional. But there's not really a conflict there. Yeah, if that makes sense. I
1: I, I don't disagree. I, I agree. Like the the building up towards their love and, and their passion for one another is is fine, and it's done well. But the crux of this movie and the power of this movie is how these two men have to hide who they are and pretend to be people that they're not, basically, so they don't, so they're not killed. And, uh, it eventually catches up, um, with Jake Gyllenhaal's Hall's character, um, Jack. And, uh, and Ennis is. Uh, <laughs> destroyed by that. And, yeah. um,. It's a, it's a powerful love story, and um, when people ask me about, or when I list uh, some of my favorite movies about love, Brokeback is in the top five for sure, if not the top three. Um, everybody knows what number one is for me, it's, it's, it's Eternal Sunshine. Um, and, yeah, and, and this is right up there. I, I love this movie. Um, I remember the controversy when it came out. Uh, I went and saw it in the theater with one of my best friends, Ray, uh, who is gay. Uh, that's not a spoiler. Um he, it's uh, not a spoiler that Ray's gay? Yeah, it's not a spoiler that Ray's gay. Ray's very gay. Uh, anybody that knows him knows that he's gay. So that's no spoiler. Well, now I feel
0: like I don't even need to meet him, man. He, damn... I
1: know, right? Because that basically... That sums up who he is as a person, right? <laughs> if you call someone gay, that, that, that says who they are as a
0: person. You don't need to know anything totally. else. Totally. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I'd like to state... <laughs> clearly that we are kidding about this by the way <laughs> there's certain jokes I like to play out naturally yeah, that one I think <laughs> might require a little explanation
1: um, but yeah Ray and I went together and for him this was a seminal moment and I'll actually this is uh, one of the um, one of the many movie experiences I've had um, that I'll never forget um, it was really touching uh, the movie made me cry when I saw it in the theater and it made me cry uh, when I rewatched it here um, I love this movie um, but i i i get it totally it's not the kind of movie you sit down watch watch with some friends and unless they are complete cinephiles um but uh i absolutely love this movie um i love for me um i love the score uh this score um i think his, i i should look it up uh his name's Gustavo something um but the score to this movie is one of my all-time favorite scores uh gustavo santa Santa Olala?
0: is that what it's
1: yeah something like that uh, some... the main theme <clears throat> the main theme is called wings and i love it i I can't get enough of that score
0: yeah um i that's one thing i definitely noted uh the the acoustic guitar and the the old time almost sort of uh john denver feel of the of of the score in this movie i definitely enjoyed it like all of the movies this year there there are some Years where I haven't even barely noticed the scores, or but I noticed the music a lot in all of the movies this year. It was uh, it was quite a good year.
1: Yeah, with these ones, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally get it. A um, couple things I want to uh, – a couple things I want to – I guess trivia notes I have about this movie that I'd like to share before we kind of dive in and break it down a little bit more. Um, this is one of Daniel day Lewis's favorite films. Uh, He cites the reason for this as being Heath Ledger's performance. Uh, After Ledger's death, Day-Lewis dedicated his SAG award for There Will Be Blood to Ledger's memory, mentioning in particular the final scene in Ennis' trailer being as moving as anything I've ever seen. Uh, I totally agree, that final scene kills me every time. Um, Some of the actors considered for the roles um, were Josh Hartnett, Colin Farrell, Matt Damon, Billy Crudup, and Ben Affleck um and then uh during the this was filmed uh in your area my friend it was filmed in alberta really yeah i could you can totally tell it's canada it ain't montana (laughs) that's definitely canadian rockies they're in uh but people in your area may like this little tidbit i have for them
0: i'll be sure to share it
1: during the filming of the fourth of july scenes where ennis beats up those two bikers um, the crew would get the extras pumped by telling them to act like the Calgary Flames had just won the Stanley Cup.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Um, that scene... I, would, I would make a joke about that only in movies, but I cheer for the Vancouver Canucks, so who am I kidding?
1: Uh, I cheer for Hockey to die,
0: so... Um... Anyways. Yes, because Manny is a bitter old man who doesn't like fun. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Hockey's fun. <laughs> um... That scene, that 4th of July scene, actually has a shot um, that I love. Um, It's actually shot from a little low. It's almost from the vantage point of the biker's whose asses he just kicked. And Ennis is just standing there with the fireworks going off behind him. Um, It's just this one shot that I just fucking love. He looks spectacular. Um, The hard part for me watching this movie is it made me miss Heath Ledger even more. This is such an incredible performance for him, Um, and it was shortly after this um, that he filmed The Dark Knight. This man was on his way to superstardom and to being probably this generation's best actor. He is undeniable in this movie, and then, of course, obviously in The Dark Knight. I, I, I wish... I wish beyond wishes that he hadn't passed away. I can't even imagine the work that this man would have done if he had kept going.
0: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I completely agree with everything you just said. He was really just starting to gain recognition for some of some of these roles, and this one was <laughs> was really wow. I mean, the from from both sides, really. If if there's a silver lining in uh, Heath Ledger's death, if, as difficult as it is to find one, a it's that we got some fantastic performances while he was around. And be that Jake Gyllenhaal still exists because he, uh, in this movie, is quite good and, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood today. Uh, even, even you know, a decade and some change after this movie was made, he is amazing in this movie. He's amazing in Prisoners. Uh, Nightcrawler we talked about uh, in a previous episode. Um, I haven't watched Enemy, but I've heard that's an incredible movie. Um, he's just, like, great performance after great performance. And, like, Hollywood... <sighs> Just not—he's just not getting the recognition. And it kills me,
1: dude. I I cannot agree more. Uh, it's so funny you said that because I was literally just about to say the same thing. I believe that Jake Gyllenhaal is criminally underrated as an actor. I I agree. His performance in here is un unreal. Um, these two are just at the fucking top of their game, uh, and it shines because of the screenplay. It gives these two men. An amazing arc and an amazing story to share. Uh, just two amazing roles. Um, yeah, I agree. he They're both great. Uh, Michelle Williams, uh, once again, just fucking slamming a, a home run with the minimum scenes that she gets. Just like the nomination she got for uh, Manchester by the Sea. Um, yeah. She's just a powerhouse and she will get that Oscar one day because she is <sighs> drop dead. Amazing.
0: That um, yeah, was it, uh Viola Davis that she lost to and the, uh, for best supporting actress. Yeah. For... yeah. Who technically that... should have been a lead, but whatever. Yeah. I, uh, I was really upset by that. I, I mean, I loved Manchester by the Sea, and Man- Michelle Williams was uh, one of the many reasons. And in this movie, Brokeback Mountain, she's incredible as well. In particular, uh, the scene that stood out to me was right after she sees um, the two male leads whose character names, I know one of them's Ennis, I can't remember the other one, uh, Jack. Jack, yeah, and after she sees Ennis and Jack kissing after they've reunited. Uh, it was a scene where Heath Ledger comes back in and tells, yeah, we're going to go fishing for a couple of days, and is like totally playing it casual, but she knows at this point. And she's simultaneously trying to process what it is she's just seen. She's trying to act natural, but she's also sort of breaking down at the same time. That's one of the hardest things to do as an actor, is to show an emotion that that your character is trying to repress. So you're trying to show that you're holding back, but you still need to let that emotion that you're holding back shine through a little bit. And somehow she just strikes the perfect balance in that scene. And I, I love... It's almost silent from her. She has very few lines in that scene, but it's just her reaction that uh, that really stood out to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. And again, that's uh, again, it's it plays out well because the uh, the performance of uh, Jake and Heath um, when they first see each other, like he's waiting by the window to see him, and it's been yeah. years. I think at that point, four years since they'd seen each other. Um yeah. and I think uh, I think Jake obviously wasn't expecting the reaction that he got. Um, but when they see each other, you can feel that love, that passion, um, that these two men share for each other. And it just completely overwhelms them. Um, and I love, I love that scene. I love that scene. Uh, and then I immediately, the same scene with Michelle Williams, um, stumbling outside and seeing something she's obviously never seen before. And then trying to process that her husband, um, is in love and making out with another man. Um, that slow walk, that stunned slow walk that everybody in the world knows about. Um, and then she's sitting there, just like you said, just trying to process everything that's just happened while also trying to act normal at the same time. It's it's a it's a great performance by Michelle Williams.
0: Yeah, um, on that note, I mean, there's one uh, lead, I guess, or female lead we haven't talked about yet, uh, and that would be Anne Hathaway. She's good right like she's like i don't know i maybe again it's sort of another case of someone's good performance being overshadowed by great ones like there's not one scene in this movie where they're like oh Anne hathaway is trying in the scene or oh Anne hathaway is just like totally outmatched but like she was easily the least notable person in this movie for me um she, her character, to be fair, doesn't have, in my opinion, as much to do as Michelle Williams' character. Oh, totally. She has. She has honestly nothing to do. She is. She does sort of take on the role of like window dressing. Like we get a. We get a, the, uh, the token naked scene from Anne Hathaway, and we get. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's it's really nothing to write home about, and she's just sort of. There for character development for Jack, mm-hmm. which which I mean is fine. I mean Michelle Williams is there uh, for character development for Ennis to the same sort of extent, but she did a lot better with the small part that she was given than Anne Hathaway, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, it was it's funny seeing uh, Randy Quaid in the movie, <laughs> knowing how crazy he's gone.
0: Yeah, isn't he like uh, super homophobic in real life? Like I'm, sub- or maybe not homophobic, but I know he's like crazy. I know he's oh, gone he's,
1: Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's got batch it insane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Homophobic? I I I
0: don't know. I, maybe that's uh, that's hearsay. Don't quote me on that. It's fair <laughs> enough. Hopefully Randy Quaid's lawyers aren't listening. Um, <laughs> what are the chances? I know, right? <laughs>
1: um. So yeah, I guess I don't really have much more to add. Um, I've kind of, kind of touched upon everything I wanted to touch upon um, I guess final thoughts on Brokeback Mountain
0: yeah final thoughts on Brokeback Mountain It's uh, I, I can see why you've counted it in your I believe you said top three romantic movies of all time I haven't had the time to really process it fully I'll probably require a rewatch to rank it properly but I wouldn't be surprised if it got up there for me it was really touching and It's just as much about their romance as it is about their individual struggles to fit into a society that doesn't accept them. Um, I really was interested, in my opinion, it started a little bit slow, just in that the opening half hour or so before they hook up for the first time uh, doesn't really provide a whole lot of conflict, in my opinion. There's a little bit of sexual tension, which keeps things going along all right for that little bit but it's not until they separate that i think this movie really gets going um that being said that's maybe one small nitpick in a in a beautiful movie um i know we're going to get to favorite scenes in a second but the ending the the last half hour of this movie is just absolutely fantastic uh. i was riveted the entire time um you know the scene in the trailer at the end is amazing like you said the the touching moment with, between uh, Ennis and his daughter, where he agrees to come to her wedding, is gorgeous and yeah from uh from a pure narrative perspective, this movie is a masterwork, and from the perspective of their performances as well
1: yeah, so basically <laughs> the last half an hour makes up for the first half an hour for you
0: I would say so yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I would agree broke back is a brilliant film um by a brilliant director o- Ong Lee is absolutely spectacular. Um, the man is a is a genius uh, in the medium of film. Um, I I love I love Brokeback, um, and I agree. I can understand it, it does start a little bit slow, uh, but basically, yeah. After they, basically after they come down off of Brokeback Mountain, the movie really picks up and really begins to shine and show why this is considered such a monumental film that it is. Um, yeah, so uh, favorite scene for you, my friend.
0: I mean, it's it's pretty clear. It's uh, it's. I wish I knew how to quit you. It's uh, the famous scene, and it feels like such a cop out to even say, uh, but it's just a perfect scene, especially in context with what comes after it. It's just so tragic in retrospect that this was the last conversation that these two had together, and it's the perfect tragic ending for a, a couple that is sort of a. Spiritual descendant of like a Romeo and Juliet or a, a Jack and uh, uh, Jack and Rose from Titanic. It's just like star-crossed lovers who were doomed to never be together. And it was just this was their this was their door <laughs> this this was their door after the Titanic. Like, like it's just uh, it was such a sad and tragic and perfectly crafted scene for me. Uh,
1: uh a great pick. Um,
0: really?
1: not what I go with. Um... Really. Yeah, for me it it is the ending. Um it's um I I'm going to kind of combine a couple scenes. It it's it's where Heath Ledger is at Jack's parents place and he finds uh the shirts. Um
0: Oh, just, that's a that's a great fucking moment too.
1: He just grips it and holds it and smells it and the pain on him The difference of when he comes down from that room as to when he goes up um the man is shattered um and knowing that his love is gone um and then yeah and then the scene in the trailer it's uh it's 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 devastating for me in a completely good way um it's one of the reasons that it just elevates the film for me
0: does it make me a bad person if uh I couldn't really shake from my head the thought that Kate Mara, the woman who plays Alma Dalmar Jr., is uh, Zoe Barnes in House of Cards, and I couldn't stop thinking, like, "Yeah, this is a great scene, but I've seen her naked." So, uh, <laughs> as, as as an older woman, I'm just like it probably makes me a bad person and a bad movie buff, but I can't change the way my brain's wired. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Also, a brief cameo from. Uh, Hold on, do I have his name written down here somewhere? David Harbour yeah. from uh, Change of Things? Change of Things, was crazy. yeah. There's just a couple of Netflix stars in here that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, I, I was into it. I was definitely into it. Did you recognize his wife? Uh, Anna I think I... It's Anna Faris. Sorry? It's Anna Ferris. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I did recognize her. And... Oh, there was one other actress that I recognized, uh, but it was actually from a movie we're going to talk about in a bit. So. Oh, okay. we'll... Get to that as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. So all in all, we both uh, really enjoy Brokeback Mountain. Let's move on to the, the next... surprise of everybody. I know it's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, this you universal. Brokeback... In case nobody picked up the memo, Brokeback Mountain's really fucking good. Uh, <laughs> I think we're, I think we're the first commentators to say that. the right? uh, History of cinema. Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. Breaking news.
1: All right. Next up, Capote. Uh, Capote is directed by Bennett Miller. Uh, its writer is Dan Futterman. It uh, had an 88 Metascore. Uh, a budget of $7 million. Uh, it grows 28 in the U.S. and 50 worldwide. Uh, it uh, won Best Actor for uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actress for Catherine Keener. Uh, the plot synopsis. In 1959, Truman Capote learns of, a, of the murder of a Kansas family and decides to write a book about the case. While researching for his novel In Cold Blood, Capote forms a relationship with one of the killers, Perry Smith, who is on death row. All right, Capote. Um, one, uh, one quick thing uh, about Bennett Miller. This was actually his uh, directorial film debut. And uh, Sam, Capote, Best Picture nominee. What are your thoughts?
0: So uh, I, I will say the best way to enjoy Capote is just to block out everything that is not Philip Seymour Hoffman. If you just put on blinders, if you give yourself a little bit of tunnel vision and say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this one guy in the center of the shot here, this movie's really good if you do that. It's a brilliant performance. If you look up what Capote actually looked and sounded like and his mannerisms and his idiosyncrasies, he was a really eccentric guy, and Philip Seymour Hoffman nails him. This is like a perfect impression of his weird particular way of talking and he somehow emotes through it and he gives it an excellent performance really really good fully deserving of the best actor i haven't looked at the nominees for this year i mean heath ledger i guess would have been up against him so that's sort of controversial would you like but them? i would like them yes okay uh
1: yeah. the nominees for best actor this year were philip seymour hoffman for capote who won terence howard for hustle and flow Okay. Heath Ledger for Brokeback Mountain, Joaquin Phoenix for Walk the Line, it's a good movie. And David Strathairn
0: for Good Night and Good Luck. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty powerful lineup. Yeah. I think. Um that being said, outside of maybe Heath Ledger, there's not one performance on there I can say definitely is better than Philip Seymour Hoffman's. I think this is a really good performance, but I've talked about that enough at this point. This is the point where I tell you what's wrong with this movie uh it's first of all it's just not on the level of these other ones I'm sorry it's really not it's not in the same league outside of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in it which is really sad because he gives a really good performance but uh I was so not interested in anything that was not him um I I don't know there's Just no interesting characters around him. I didn't think that Perry was interesting. Not only that, but I didn't... Because there are no interesting characters around him, the connections that this movie is trying to make and make dramatic just fall so flat. Like, the the tragic connection between him and Perry doesn't do it for me. Uh, The connection between Perry and his brother doesn't do it for me. The connection between him and Harper Lee doesn't do it for me. And Capote and his lover. uh, Like, all of these connections are so underdeveloped, and I don't know why. I I don't know why. And You you said this movie was nominated for adapted screenplay or uh, original screenplay or uh, was it nominated for any of those categories? No, just
1: picture, director, and supporting actress.
0: That's no surprise to me, honestly, because I don't really know what the writers were doing. It's like they spent so much time and effort developing the character of Truman Capote and they didn't even, honestly, he's not even that developed of a character. The performance is just that fucking good. Yep. Uh, and every, th- all of the connections just fall flat. It's just, that's why if you watch with Tunnel Vision, just look at Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's a really good movie. But as soon as you expand your blinders, do it include the entire screen, I, I really didn't find it all that interesting to be completely blunt with, with you. I didn't find it interesting.
1: I, on, again, once again, my friend, we completely agree.
0: God, um, the show's so boring. We just agree about everything. I
1: know. <laughs> um. Let me propose this to you. Do you think, do you believe that Bennett Miller got a Best Director nom because of the performance he got from Philip Seymour Hoffman?
0: It would not surprise me
1: in the slightest. Because I did not find the camera work or anything else in this movie to be noticeable or substantial in any way.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the writing that I was talking about, and specifically the characters and the connection between those characters, is one of the only aspects I found actively bad everything else I found unnoticeable or mediocre I guess at best
1: I honestly don't know how this got nominated for best picture Yeah, I I agree outside of the performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman and that's probably why it got nominated for best picture because he's got to be in what like 95% of the movie is there like maybe 4 or 5 scenes that he's not in he is he is undeniably fantastic Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on that best actor race, which, and I don't mean to be sexist, but usually the best actor race is usually the best race every year with the exception of being last year's best actress race, because last actually last year's best actress race was fucking phenomenal,
0: which is so strange. Cause there are so many good roles for women in Hollywood. Dude. Yeah, right.
1: Who <laughs> were <laughs> the best actresses that year? Let's see.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. Reese Witherspoon, walked the
1: Line, Judy Dench, Mrs. Henderson, Felicity Huffman, Transamerica, Keira Knightley, Pride and Prejudice,
0: Charlize Theron for North Country. Ooh, your girlfriend, Charlize, is up for an award that year. Yeah. <laughs> She'd already won, so I knew she wasn't going <laughs> to. And, and
1: I actually went and saw North Country only because she was in it, and it was a good movie. And oh. her nomination is well-deserved, but I knew she wasn't going to beat Reese. Everyone wanted to give Reese the award. Anyways. Yeah, Manny knew everything. Surprise, surprise. He... <laughs> Are you bitter about something? You... Uh, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> um, but really, like, there's nothing really that we can talk about in this movie outside of Philip Seymour Hoffman. It is an outstanding performance. Again, if you don't know who Truman Capote is and you watch this movie, you will be stunned and unsure what the hell Philip Seymour Hoffman's doing until you actually see and hear footage of Truman Capote and then that just elevates this man's performance to another level he nails him perfectly Um, I actually forgot that Catherine Keener was even in this movie Um, Mm. Catherine Keener was on a huge role she was just kicking ass and taking names on screen uh, at this time and she she does give a a good performance Oscar worthy, Mm, I don't know nomination worthy, sure Um, She's she's, For for me, Catherine Keener is like the embodiment of a strong woman. Um, She always comes across as really self-confident and very sure of herself, much like the character she played in Being John Malkovich. Um, Not afraid to stand her ground. Uh, I don't know much about Harper Lee, um, but I liked Catherine Keener in this movie, but she doesn't really have anything to do. Um,
0: no, I would sort of put her performance it was like what we were saying about Anne Hathaway in uh, Brokeback Mountain, it's not that she's bad or anything, she just is sort of, I mean compared to the rest of the cast in this movie outside of Philip Seymour Hoffman she's probably the best Oh, for but sure. She just, she just doesn't have anything to do she's just sort of there for most scenes to be honest with you Yeah, um,
1: I, I, I'm a big Chris, uh, Chris Cooper fan, he plays the lead FBI agent I think it's the FBI Um but again, he doesn't really have much to do with this role. Um, and then Clifton Collins as Perry Smith, uh, Clifton Collins is somebody as a character actor that I like. Um, and this is definitely, if he could have been better in this role, this would have, this is the kind of role that could catapult you. Um, he does have that one, uh, good scene, um, where he finally confesses, uh, to Truman Capote. Um, but, uh, other than that, yeah, this this movie really falls flat for me. I remember when I saw it that year, I couldn't believe that this was being nominated again, except for the performance. This movie is just completely just riding on the shoulders of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, if anybody wants to skip a movie, this is the fucking one to skip. Don't bother unless you want to
0: watch a powerhouse performance. Yeah, um, I'm just looking back through my notes here, seeing my thought process, and <laughs> it's just all like... I, there's just one line that says 50 minutes in uninterested in the, feed, in the feeding Perry scene like the his relationship with Perry should be the crux of this movie the entire movie should not ride on Philip Seymour Hoffman's shoulders it should ride on the relationship between him and Perry uh but it's just so underdeveloped he we essentially see him meet Perry and then like two scenes later he I think he's talking about how good of friends they are yeah like yeah. I, I didn't Feel that organic growth from their relationship. The entire time the movie does just feel like Capote's using him. And I don't. There's a scene later where Capote is a total dick to him and says, like, you know, like, you're. I can. I'm just here to get what I want from you. I'm just here to get a story. If you don't want to talk, see you later. Mm -hmm. And he's a total dick. And that should have been a very heartbreaking scene but all it felt like was capote being a dick yeah. that was all it felt like and it was because the relationship with perry was so underdeveloped and the performance unfortunately was weak from uh, the actor whose name i don't Captain have been... Collins. Collins. yeah exactly it's just really upsetting cuz that honestly could have made that could that made or, break... <laughs> made or broke the movie right there in my opinion was if the relationship with perry is interesting and has stakes uh, it, you know it it could have been interesting but The entire time, Capote is hoping that Perry dies so he can have an ending to his novel. And it just makes it so difficult to get invested in their friendship while one of them is hoping the other dies. In my opinion. We should have gotten more inner conflict from Capote than we did. We do see him uh, be bedridden for a few scenes, but it's more over the guilt of a decision that he's already made Rather than agonizing about the decision that he's made, like he does a pretty shitty thing, he tells him that he's got, he's exhausted his options for lawyers uh, to save his life, to save mm-hmm. his friend's life. He tells him that he's exhausted his options and there's no lawyers that will help them. Then that's just flat out not, not true. He he flat out lies to his friend. Yeah, and I think we saw more of the guilt from that decision rather than the suspense leading up to that decision. And that was probably another writing mistake and maybe a directorial mistake in my opinion. There was just no stakes at any point in this movie for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. This, this is, this is easily one of those ones that got nominated that I don't know why it got nominated.
0: Yeah, this one's a head scratcher. Um, I've, side note: I'm not. I don't have the movie list in front of me. Surprise, surprise! Because I'm the least prepared person of all time. Uh, but is there any? Were there any other movies this year that you felt got snubbed for uh, for the Best Picture Nom?
1: Uh, no, but you know what? Um, I will definitely take a look. Um, yeah. Look a quick. Uh, we'll definitely kind of taking a look. Uh, mm, let's see here. Oh well, one that I loved. I, I couldn't say it should have uh, it should uh, got nominated for Best Picture, but it's a movie that year that came out that I loved um, was Cinderella Man. Um, okay. I know one that uh, a lot of people felt got snubbed was A History of Violence. Um, right, yeah. Junebug was another one uh, that people talked about. Uh, Syriana <laughs> um, was another one uh, that a lot of people liked that year. Uh, the Constant Gardener, uh, I haven't seen, um, but uh, a lot of people talked about it. Uh, it's not a
0: very good movie year for movies, is it? I'm looking through some of these right now, and like so few of these have had like lasting cultural impact. There's Brokeback Mountain. I would argue the Forty Year Old Virgin has a lasting cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman Begins, maybe, but outside of that, I mean, Star Wars Episode Three, Fantastic Four. Uh, the worst Harry Potter movie, the Goblet of Fire. Well, walk, the, me, La- walk Gorsuch. the
1: line could have gotten a nomination. That was a really good movie. Um, very true. There, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about, uh, memoirs of a geisha, but it ended up not being as good as people hoped. Pride and yeah. prejudice. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the snub for me, it was either for me personally was either Cinderella man or, um, or walk the line. Um, I'm a, I I ai really like Cinderella Man a lot.
0: Um Yeah, I like that movie too. That's a really good one.
1: Um so for me that was that was the one that kind of got the snub for me. Um, okay. But um uh a couple of little pieces of trivia. Uh Sandra Bullock was actually considered for the role of Harper Lee. Um but she ended up playing Harper Lee in the other Truman Capote film, uh Infamous, which came oh. out the following year. Um
0: and that's it. Um <laughs> Nothing else interesting, even in trivia for this movie. <laughs>
1: not, not really. Not really. I couldn't. Uh, this,
0: I, this movie was just one massive scoop
1: of vanilla ice cream. I just really couldn't uh, dig up uh, a lot of really cool things about it, but also I really wasn't that motivated because it was the least interesting of these five films for me.
0: Okay, so what about. Um, uh, I talked about interesting cameos in uh, Brokeback Mountain. The one that I uh, thought was in Brokeback Mountain, but I realized was actually in this film, Capote was, uh, I don't know if the actress's name, uh, it was the woman who plays Holly in The Office. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who exactly, uh, Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, who plays Holly in The Office, is, uh, the wife of whoever plays the homophobe father in American Beauty. Oh, that's Chris Cooper. I love Chris Cooper. Yeah, so, uh, I obviously recognize him from American Beauty, and his wife uh, is played by a woman named Amy Ryan, and she has uh, she has a role in The Office for a while, and ah. she plays a rather eccentric character. But I digress. Yeah, obviously, you have not seen The Office, much to my disappointment. Nope, uh, and much to T Bone's disappointment. Yeah. Um. All right. Fave. Uh, final thoughts, and then we'll get into favorite scene. Final thoughts. I think uh, this movie had some. It had some ingredients. It, it definitely. It had the performance from uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It had the groundwork for what could have been some really interesting uh, dynamics between uh, a bunch of different characters, but especially between Truman and Perry. Um, And it didn't quite cut it. It, I thought a lot of the relationships were underdeveloped. A lot of the side characters were underdeveloped. um, A lot of the plot, in my opinion. um, I, I know this is based off a true story, but it was just revealed in such an uninteresting way to me it really fell short in a lot of ways and i can't ever see myself rewatching this movie it was to be honest with you i know that casual movie fans will often say that best picture nominees are always dull or they're they're boring and artsy but this is this is a boring movie this is a pretty damn boring movie yeah
1: um same here this is this is one of the ones that gets nominated al- almost every year there's w- at least one um, movie that gets nominated that I just shake my head at. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know what they see. Well, I don't see what they're seeing that I'm not seeing. Um, outside of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance, there is zero reason to watch this movie. And uh, honestly, his performance isn't that earth-shattering that I would tell I would tell somebody to come watch this movie. Um, there's other performances by Philip Seymour Hoffman that I would I would move people towards uh, instead of this one um and 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 much better movies uh that he's in um this is a complete skip don't don't watch it don't waste your time um skip this one <laughs> maybe we should have led with that <laughs> yeah uh your favorite scene how fucking the know, end credits <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a babble joke
0: oh, yeah i actually didn't hear the joke but... <laughs> i said the end credits that's my favorite scene <laughs> Yeah, true sure enough. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. I, I, I would, I would rather watch this than Babel. I think I'd rather watch this than Babel too. Babel was pretty fucking bad, but uh, I don't know. Um, I'm looking through my notes here, and I'm not noting anything. Maybe, maybe the reunion with Perry at the end. I guess while he's on death row. Or well, maybe... Like,
1: right when he's about to go get executed? Like right
0: when he's about to get executed. <clears throat> I thought the acting in that scene was quite good, as well as when Perry actually gets executed and uh, Capote has to watch. Uh, I thought those those moments were pretty heart-wrenching, and I felt uh, twinges of emotion in my uh, dark, emotionless core uh, when that happened. Um, other than that, the movie was sort of meh. It was alright.
1: Yeah uh for me uh, i actually my favorite scene is where perry breaks down and confesses to Truman um, oh. about what happens and then and then you find out exactly what happened uh, it, uh in in the house when him and uh, the other guy murder the family
0: yeah you know what scratch mine that was the best scene okay. <laughs> that was the best in, in fact i'm looking through my notes right now i i it's all in scribbles because <laughs> i was watching the movie as i was writing i literally looked right past the line seat that says Best scene is Perry talking about the murders. (laughs) (laughs) Did I mention it's close to midnight where I am? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, Yeah, so that's Capote. All right,
1: moving on. Next film up is Crash, uh, directed by Paul Haggis. Writer is Paul Haggis. Uh, It's got a 69 Metascore. It won Best Picture. It won Best Original Screenplay. And it won Best Film Editing. It was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Matt Dillon, Best Director for Paul Haggis, and Best Original Song. It had a budget of $6.5 million. It grossed 54 in the U.S. and 98 worldwide. The plot synopsis, Los Angeles citizens with vastly separate lives collide in interweaving stories of race, loss, and redemption. So... Samuel, this movie Crash has a sordid history in retrospective as a lot of people think that this is the worst winner of Best
0: Picture of All Time. You've never and, seen it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Crash? I will say that uh, the people who think it's the, best, uh, the worst Best Picture winner of all time are incorrect because uh, that is still Shakespeare in Love. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Uh which I have seen uh watched an English class in grade ten uh definitely a skip in that one, but obviously we'll get to that one when we get to nineteen ninety nine I guess I fucking cannot wait <laughs> to get to that one. I'm gonna shit on that movie so hard, but we will get there. Uh, I'm almost excited to rewatch it, but I digress um, uh, as far as crash goes as far as it being the biggest upset maybe of all time also can be argued, but uh what most Shakespeare and left. Yeah. Shakespeare in Love, again, uh, probably takes that title in recent times. But most people, including myself, were also not alive in the 1940s when Citizen Kane lost Best Picture to some movie nobody gives a shit about anymore. Uh, (laughs) So this movie definitely, I don't think, gets the top nod, but it's on the podium, I think. It's definitely one of the bigger upsets. And I was... I won't say I was disappointed by this movie because I had low expectations. I knew it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. but I also knew that it was, you know, it had the reputation that it did. Um, it was fine. You know, it was it was good. Um, I definitely didn't, what I didn't get from it was a whole lot of subtlety, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's pretty ham-fisted in its portrayal of racism, in my opinion. Just, there's a lot... Pardon the pun, it's, it's a, such a shitty one, but it's pretty black and white in this movie. Like, the line is drawn pretty clearly, like, these are the good guys, and these are the bad guys. And it, it seemed a little elementary at times to me. In my opinion, that might be controversial, I guess, but... You know, it, that's not to say this movie's completely without merit. It has some good performances, for sure. Um, it has some interesting plot lines, I think. Uh, in particular, the ones with Don Cheadle. Um, I was almost sort of rolling my eyes right out of the gate with this one. That little fucking monologue that Don Cheadle gives at the beginning is so pretentious. <laughs> oh. It's so pretentious. Oh my god. It, the little, like, sometimes I think we crash into each other just to feel a little connection. Fuck you. Like, it's not people crash because they, like, his his wife, I know, has played a little bit for comedy there, and she says, I think he hits his head. I, I don't think we crash because we miss connection. I think we crashed because we got into Fender Bender. And I'm like, yes! thank you, <laughs> but it, it sort of played semi-seriously, so I don't know, that that moment sort of rang rang weak for me, but I guess if we're, I'll give you a chance to talk here, but uh, o- overall, I it was fine, like, it was pretty much exactly how much I expected to like this movie, it wasn't fantastic, I don't see this movie, you know, if, if they re-vote, which I think they have a couple of times, actually, I, this movie does not win Best Picture again, it just doesn't, It hasn't aged particularly well. It's not particularly subtle. But there's some interesting moments and some good performances and definitely more redeeming qualities about it than Capote.
1: When I rewatched this movie for this episode, I hadn't watched Crash in a while. Um, I remember going into this Academy Awards not even thinking that this movie had a shot. Um, I pretty much had Brokeback winning everything. Um when they called this name, I was stunned. Um, re-watching it, um, I enjoyed it, uh, more than I anticipated. Um, is it subtle subtle. in the messages? Sure isn't. isn't. Uh, that, um, uh, winning best original screenplay is, is a hard sell for me.
0: I don't want best original screenplay? Uh, Fuck.
1: Um, but exactly what you said, there are some really good performances here uh, and some really good scenes. Um, it's, it's funny, like Sandra Bullock got top billing and she's in it for less than five minutes. Um,
0: yeah. And her her character is essentially just racism. Like, I, in, in the description when I was watching this movie, it her character was described as like, casually racist or something like that not very <laughs> fucking casual yeah, there's no... just, she says some shit in this movie <laughs> yeah there's there's no, there's nothing
1: casual about it um but the performances uh from a lot of the actors are really good Matt Damon uh sorry not Matt Damon Matt Dillon uh he earned his nomination here uh Terrence Howard uh is really good uh in this Ryan Philippe, uh he's he's okay uh Michael Pena uh is really good um the actor who played the um the middle eastern father uh i'm going to look up his name because he deserves um to be mentioned uh of course uh oh no
0: Sean Tube thank you is that
1: it yeah yep uh Sean Tube uh he's really good um uh, Fendi Newton um <clears throat> she gets a couple really good scenes to kind of really showcase her talents uh and she does um, it's um, my, my main problem I guess my main problem with this movie is it's not subtle in the messages trying to expose it literally takes a baseball bat to your face with the messages trying to get across yeah. um, so the fact that uh, he was nominated
0: for best director uh, again a shock to me um, and best again best screenplay like this is not like it, there's no subtlety in this like it has and this is what I mean when I said it's elementary and I'm sorry to cut you off in this no, regard no no Like the the message of this movie is just in my opinion that the cure for racism is love or the cure for hate is love which fine great message but it's just so <laughs> again it's black and white I hate to keep saying that, but it's just the the solution this movie provides to people who have uh, hatreds towards them is to just meet it with love. It's like, hey, people of color, the only reason white people are mean to you is because you're not nice enough to them. Like, <laughs> it sort of feels like that of, at times, mm-hmm. a little bit, and it comes off as just so patronizing. A little. Oh, just, it's written by a white male. Yeah. Right. Like. He's like, this is what I think the solution is, black people. Listen to me. It's just, it's, it's if the whole thing just feels so gross. It feels so, like, I don't know, packaged and processed. It, it, it makes me, this movie just makes me uncomfortable with how obviously obvious it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah,
1: I, I get that. For <laughs> me, the what really... What elevates this movie, um, like we said, the screenplay is pretty weak. But anytime it, it's actually funny because the more I think about it, the performances in this movie that a lot of the people give are really good, but it's their reactions to things going on. So it has nothing to do with the screenplay, it has to do with the actors themselves and their skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the scene, <clears throat> the scene where Matt Dillon is frisking Thandie Newton and yeah. Thandie Newton and Terrence Howard's reaction to what's going on, their performances on their face tell the story.
0: That um, was actually a really good scene. It was I, a fantastic I, I scene. didn't like how they allowed us to cheer for Matt Dillon's character after that. I, I didn't like how he was turned into a hero. Yep. I thought he was sort of an irredeemable piece of shit. Yep. At that moment, especially with the context of him talking to his uh, young partner who requests a transfer, and he basically lectures him like, oh, you think you're so much better than me because you've been on the job for a short time and you're not groping and sexually assaulting women? Like, yeah, I do think he's better than you. You're a fucking asshole.
1: Yeah, him, him being redeemed, yeah, again, it's a, it's a white male
0: writing the screenplay. Yeah, he he felt up a black girl, but he just so happened to arrive on the scene when she was in danger and saved her, so Mm -hmm. so he's fine now, right? It's like, okay, yes, he's a hero and he saved her, but you can be a hero and be an asshole. This guy's a, he did one heroic thing, yes, but he did it, (laughs) I don't know, I, I think even more powerful of a moment there, and this is just off the top of my head. And it's probably a stupid idea. What if she, like, she when he first sees her, she rejects uh, the opportunity for him to pull her out and goes crazy? What if he missed the opportunity to save her life because she refused to be touched by him again? Mm-hmm. What what if she died because of that? Like, would that not have been a more powerful moment? I agree, one hundred percent.
1: Agree. Um, and again, this is it's just elevated by the performance of the actors. Like when she looks over and sees that it's him rescuing her has nothing yeah. to do with the screenplay. It has to do with Danny Newton's performance. Yeah. Um, I, you know, another example is again, we're spoiling the shit out of it, but the scene where Terrence Howard has decided that he's probably just going to allow himself to die with a, w- by forcing the police to kill him mm-hmm. and his, his performance, the, the, the look of anger, fear and frustration on his face um, and Ryan Phillippe is trying to talk him down again. It's just it's just elevated uh, by Terrence Howard's performance, um, but it's the performance, not the screenplay, because he's not he's not saying well, he's got he has some dialogue, but it's it's the way he's acting and the and his body language and the look on his face um, that really sells that scene, not the dialogue. It, this screenplay is weak, and this directing. Well, the, I I shouldn't say the directing is weak because he gets he does get good performances. Um, from his actors Um,
0: but uh, this screenplay is fucking brutal in my opinion the most interesting you cut out there we're good to go Oh, yeah, I, I'm sorry about that. I was looking at your screen. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> hope I didn't cut
1: out. <laughs> you uh, maybe... cut out for a second. Uh, folks at home, I'm not going to edit out the cutout. I'm going to leave it in
0: because just for a couple seconds, it made me laugh. It's called Authenticity People. <laughs> <laughs> deal with it. Uh, in my opinion, the most interesting part of this movie is uh, Michael Pena's Daniel Ruiz. I really like his plot uh, with his daughter. I'm sure Manny, as a father, you probably just uh, adored that as well. The little girl. Uh, played by Ashlyn Sanchez as Lara Louise, not to be confused with uh, Blue Jays superstar DL benchwarmer Aaron Sanchez. Uh, <laughs> still a little bitter about this season, but I'll get over it. Uh, she she was just cute as a button. Fun fact for all you uh, for all you movie fans out there uh, to make you feel really fucking old. Me and this girl were born the same year, so she is 22 years old and.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: she was born july twenty seventh nineteen ninety six i was born october eighteenth nineteen ninety six so uh me and her uh same age so cheers to all of to all of you old fucks listening oh you fucking bastard <laughs>
1: um yeah okay let's go let's go down this road um <clears throat> with um rewatching this uh there's a scene where uh Michael Pena is confronted by... I'm sorry, what was his name Tony? Tony, Paul Schell. Uh, Whatever the actor's name is. The, as a father, I was dreading watching this moment because it hit, it hit me pretty hard when I watched it in 2004, well before I was a father. Um, and so the scene... The scene is where a man is at a loss and doesn't feels like he has nowhere else to go so he tends it looks like he's going to resort to violence and because of a father's love and a way to make his daughter feel safe his daughter thinks it's real and tries to protect her fa- I'm going to fucking cry talking about it yeah <laughs> she runs out to save her I'm going to fucking cry <laughs> she she runs out to save her father and for a few moments and this is this is where I will tip my hat to Paul Haggis because he pulled the emotional heartstrings. It seems like this man shoots this little girl basically point blank. Yeah. Michael, again, this is not the screenplay, this is the actor's performance. Michael Pena's performance in this moment, I, when I rewatched this, now being a father, I had to stop the movie to compose myself. I was a fucking wreck. I had, like it was ugly cry. Tears yeah. streaming down my face, snot coming out of my nose. Un, like I was I, I if I remember correctly, I think I yelled. And I even knew this was coming because I've seen this movie multiple times. And it at, but this was deaf. this was the first time I've watched this movie being a father and that's why I am both looking forward to and dreading rewatching life is beautiful. Oh,
0: I am very much looking forward to that. That is going to be a going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm
1: going to get fucked
0: up. Um there there was I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was uh, in in that scene where he uh almost shot uh Michael Peña's daughter. Um I, I did really like that scene. It Definitely affected me and I thought it was going to be dark as fuck. Uh there's as far as the direction goes in that scene, there's like a really obvious in your face uh crash zoom onto Michael Peña with his reaction. Mm-hmm. It struck me as a little a little soap opera ish. L- just a little on the melodramatic side. It it struck me as overkill, just slightly. I don't know if you felt the same way.
1: Uh honestly, I I think I was too overcome with emotions to notice.
0: Yeah, it's fair. There's a couple moments in this movie that uh Struck me as a little soap opera ish. Another one was uh Sandra Bullock falling down the stairs for some reason. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ, like... yeah. <laughs> I'm like, alright, I guess I guess she's not racist because she fell down and her maid helped her. Like, I <laughs> guess she's not racist anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It was uh it was kinda dumb.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um there's like I said, there's lots of good scenes, um in this movie. Um we haven't talked about uh, Ludacris uh, being in it, who spouts off all of this bullshit throughout the
0: movie. Yeah, he was one of my least favorite characters in this movie. He was so. I, I don't know. I disliked him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock was
1: uh, uninspired. Um, the role uh, that Brandon Fraser played was actually originally supposed to go to John Cusack. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually um, before Ryan Philippe, uh signed on, Heath Ledger uh, was in talks for the role of Hanson.
0: But instead he did a little ditty called Brokeback Mountain, right? Correct, yeah. <laughs> heard that was a big flop. Yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: yeah for me there's just uh, there's a, a few really, really great scenes in Crash, um, but all in all, it's a, it's a decent movie it's 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 worth watching um to to see kind of like <laughs> one this is what are we uh this is what 13 years ago 14 years ago and uh it's funny that we haven't really made much progress and yet we have
0: Yeah, I I was fully planning on making some joke like, yes, it won Best Picture and the world was cured of racism and an unarmed black man was never shot again in the United States. (laughs) You know, we know that... I mean, it's a pretty goddamn tense time in the world. Largely, and, you know, our neighbors to the south are getting a little kooky in the last couple of years, but, you know, we still love them uh, to a degree. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this, this movie was definitely... Um, again, I wasn't, I was nine when this movie came out, so, or maybe eight, so I might not have been, you know, didn't, didn't totally have my finger to the pulse of the world as it was, so I can't really comment on how, uh, accurate this movie was in its portrayal of, uh, racism in Los Angeles, but it doesn't feel like we've made a whole lot of progress. Yeah. (laughs) Which is sort of bleak.
1: Yeah. Uh... Uh, moving on to my, I I I don't know is there anything else you really wanted to touch on?
0: Um oh there was one thing I wanted to say about Ludacris is yeah just that you know the redeeming moment for his character is that he decides not to sell people into slavery which you know oh right, I, I, I guess, forgot about that I guess like, I guess I buy that but he's still a shitty person right like if you murder someone and leave or think basically hit somebody with your car and leave them for dead uh you know commit carjackings uh try to sell stolen vans uh if you do all that and then discover that one of the vans has people I'm in and you're like no nah, I'm not going to sell them even if they are chinese like yeah. that doesn't make you a good person right it no. just makes you not a complete monster oh, but
1: do you, he drops them off and just leaves them in downtown los angeles that makes you yeah. a good oh, person fucking fucking thanks our life's great now yeah like, if, if he was, like, ov- like obviously he can't just take them to the cops, but, like, maybe parking it close to the police and then phoning in anonymously that this is going on might be a better idea. Yeah. Just dropping them off in downtown L.A. and just opening the door and saying, you know, check yourself, don't wreck yourself.
0: Like, just give gives them the air Bud treatment just fully just drops them off in the middle of the woods and says i don't want you anymore yeah and just leaves them to die basically but yeah great moment from ludicrous yeah. <laughs> good on him for for not selling people into slavery yeah,
1: yeah. and again like yeah. this is uh,
0: you yeah, yeah. <laughs> know
1: whatever whatever um uh yeah I, i'm ready to move on to my final thoughts <laughs>
0: Yeah, please do. Please do.
1: Um for me Crash um it's not as bad a movie as the as history has kind of played it out to be. Um I don't think it's the worst winner of best picture. Um I I don't mind Crash. It definitely shouldn't have won best picture, but it's not as bad as people say, uh, it's definitely lacking a uh, better screenplay. Uh, that it one is kind of sick and shows you that uh, the voters at the time were a lot of white males. And um, but there's some really good performances and some really great scenes. Um, like we said, the scene with uh, Michael Pena and his daughter. Both this one and the one where he tells her that he's giving her like Michael Pena for me is probably the highlight, even though he doesn't get nominated. Like. I, It's probably, one, because I like Michael Payne, and two, because I'm a father, but he is, when he gives his invisible bulletproof cloak to his daughter, it's really fucking adorable and cute. Uh, And then it pays off later with the big emotional impact scene where she tries to protect him. Um, The scene where Thanny Newton is uh, sexually assaulted by Matt Dillon is a really great scene. There's just a, a good collection of really good scenes throughout this movie it's just not put together well enough for me to give it a best picture but it's definitely not as bad as like i said as history dictates crash is definitely worth watching um it, it it's 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 a it's a fine movie you can watch it once and then never go back
0: yeah if you if you want i hesitate to call it a feel good movie because it's not but it has sort of a cheesy the the cheesiest ending that a movie about latent horrible racism can have mm-hmm. it has it so i mean it, it definitely leaves on a positive note i guess in a lot of its uh, in a lot of its storylines uh but it's just way too hamfisted it it's way too self-congratulatory pat on the back hey look at what a difference we're making gang sort of movie it It just comes off as really, really patronizing and black and white and you know, I was gonna say it's sort of hilarious that Michael Pena all these years later gave the best performance but it's really not, it's sort of full of B-list early 2000s celebrities, like when was the last time you saw Matt Dillon or Brendan Fraser do anything?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I mean, like, it's outside of Sandra Bullock, this movie doesn't really have a lot of big names attached, but I guess Don Cheadle uh, is also Again, I would probably consider him B-list. He's big, right. but not huge. I I'm agree. also, just, I'm also just realizing now that it has both iterations of War Machine in it. It has both <laughs> Ter- Terrence Howard and Don Cheadle in this movie, which is kind of awesome. Um, and we we get to see uh, Iron Man in the movie we're going to talk about later. But yeah, overall, this movie is almost sort of the opposite of Capote. Capote had one excellent part, and then a lot of other pieces that were not fully brought to fruition this is the opposite it just has way too many moving parts it 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 definitely it could have been better but deep down I think I know that this movie was kind of just always doomed just this sort of love actually format and making it about racism just doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would ever be good and maybe this is as good as it was going to get unfortunately so good okay. not great that's yeah, fine Best picture, absolutely not. Yeah, uh, favorite scene. Favorite scene is probably uh, one we've talked about already. It's going to be Michael Pena and Ashlyn Sanchez as Daniel and Olara Ruiz um, talking about the invincibility cloak, uh, the, the impenetrable cloak that he was given by a fairy. Just a fucking adorable scene. Oh, it's uh, so it's adorable, really touching, and it's uh, it's <laughs> it's sort of funny that maybe the best scene in this movie, in my opinion, is the probably the one scene where race isn't even mentioned, like, a little bit. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that gets the vote for me anyway.
1: For me, uh, my favorite scene is it's it's the one that that scene, the scene you just talked about, pays off with. Um, it's it's the one that got me when I watched it. It's the one that got me when I rewatched it. And that's where later in the movie, um, Michael Peña, or, or she she gets shot or it seems to get shot. Um it's devastating. It fucked me up. It fucked me up then. It fucked me up even more now being a father. Um it's the main poster is that scene for Crash. Um it's that it's as as shitty as it made me feel <clears throat> for me it's it's my favorite scene. Yep, I
0: uh I completely agree. That's a it's a close second for me.
1: Uh, Pardon me, I shouldn't be cleaning my throat on the mic. Uh, All right, moving on to the fourth film, Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, It is directed by George Clooney. Uh, It was written by George Clooney and Grant Heslov. It had an 80 Metascore. Oops. Oops. Um, It had an 80 Metascore. It didn't win anything at this uh, year's Academy Awards. Um, It got nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Best actor for David Strathairn, best director for George Clooney, best original screenplay, best cinematography, and best art direction. It had a budget of seven million dollars. It grossed thirty-one in the U.S. and fifty-six worldwide. Uh, The plot synopsis: Broadcast journalist Edward R. Murrow looks to bring down Senator Joseph McCarthy. Sam, this is the one that you watch late at night.
0: Yeah, this one I intentionally saved for the late night because, uh, like I said, I binged these movies yesterday. I started this one probably at about midnight last night. I knew it was the shortest, uh, so I saved it for that. Um, honestly, though, with that being said, uh, this was really enjoyable. I didn't—I hadn't even heard of this movie before uh, you and I started talking about it. This is the one movie this year that I had not heard of. We mm-hmm. uh, started. And I actually really enjoyed it. It not only was interesting, I found it really relevant to a lot of issues that this world is plagued with today. that' funny, right? Yeah, distrust of the media and you know all sorts of uh, things in that regard. It, it can the, the B plots in this movie are where it sort of falls short for me. I think the main plot uh, of Edward Murrow. Uh, trying to take down Joe McCarthy, I find that totally interesting. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the, some of the side plots, you know, I, I find less so. But uh, I'm glad they spent as much time as they did on the uh, Ed Murrow, Joe McCarthy stuff because that I found quite quite interesting. I'm glad it's only at 93 minutes. I don't think this movie would have benefited from a longer run t- run time. It's a good, quick, bang it out sort of movie and uh, has a lot to say in that time. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed this one.
1: Awesome. Um, j- just before I give my thoughts on it, did you know who Joseph McCarthy was prior to this movie?
0: I did actually. Yeah, okay. I was uh, I was a, I was a nerd in high school, so I did that thing that you know kids do, where they pay attention in history class, which you know, yeah, awesome. So. I, was,
1: I was I was curious about that because I didn't know if you'd know who Joseph McCarthy was prior to this, I, but that awesome. I knew, I,
0: all about, I knew all about the Red Scare and uh, the McCarthy era states. So I was a uh, when I when I did find out what the plot of this movie was, I was quite interested to see it
1: perfect uh for me uh good night and good luck um is uh is a masterpiece i i fucking love this movie um this just i'm a i'm a big george clooney fan um mostly as an actor um his directing um at times is brilliant uh like this and uh the other movie he did with ryan gosling that i can't think of right now um and then there's times where his uh, directing is really bad, as a, like a Monuments Men. Um, but for the most part, uh, I'm a big George Clooney fan. I, I, I love this movie. Um, the nominations, every nomination it got w- was well-deserved. Um, I love this movie. Uh, Strathairn is absolutely brilliant as Edward R. Murrow. Um, George Clooney's direction in this is perfect. I, I, it is, it is a nice short film. It's only an hour and thirty-three minutes, um, and there's not much that you could. I, I don't think there's anything you could cut out, and I agree. There's not much that you could really add. It, it's paced perfectly. The screenplay is great. Um, the cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, it's a black and white film, and it's stunningly, stunningly shot. Um, and then the art direction. I don't really have much of an eye for art direction, but this is all. Um, this is all done mostly on set, um, and, and it looks like an old-time TV show set to me. So I guess that's how you get it. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, definitely uh, doesn't lack the authenticity. Definitely, definitely feels real to me.
1: Yeah, and uh, the cast in this is just
0: drop dead amazing. Yeah, coming into this movie, I definitely thought like looking at the cast. Uh, before having gone into it, I was thinking, okay, George Clooney is probably your lead. Robert Downey Jr. is probably your second lead. Uh, Jeff Daniels is probably third. I had no clue who... Uh, I mean, I now that I've looked up David Strathairn's uh, filmography, I recognize him from certain things. Mm-hmm. But when I, I was like, man, they're spending they're spending a lot of time on this guy. I wonder if he's, you know, going to get killed off or
1: something <laughs> like,
0: that. like Like, I had no idea who he was or what he was doing in the lead role in this movie. But he was really good. I liked him.
1: Good, that's awesome. Uh, A couple things, uh, a little bit, there's some tidbits on this movie. Because I love this movie so much, I obviously did a little bit more research on this movie. A couple things. Uh, Precisely every 23 minutes, the standard running time of television shows from the 1950s, the film is punctuated by a jazz song performed by Diane
0: Reeves. By the way, I talked about... uh... All the movies this year having great music this one's my favorite of the five that we watched oh I'm, I'm a big i mentioned earlier i was a total nerd in high school and i continue to be i was in jazz band and uh yeah dig me dig me some of the jazz music that was playing in this it was really really awesome i'm a big fan of jazz
1: music and yeah the music in this is phenomenal and this diane reeves like she sings she her her voice is spectacular hmm. um a couple, uh, couple other notes uh, initially the famous concluding catchphrase "Good night and good luck uh, that became the title of the film uh, was a habit of Edward R. Murrow kept from his London years as a war reporter for the radio when British people under constant night German bombing systematically ended their conversations with the very same words uncertain to meet again I found that really adorable and also kind of scary that that's how people would say goodbye to one
0: another during the bombings uh, in London yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. That's kinda of chilling, but Yeah. that adds, adds a little uh adds a little texture to the movie, adds a little uh a couple layers to, to the title. I like that.
1: Yeah, despite my like but despite my love for this movie, I actually it's funny, I've actually never looked up any footage of Edward Murrow to see if Stray Theron's like if his performance is like as spot on as, say, um, Hoffman's is of Capote. Um I think I'm just going to avoid it because I actually, I like, I absolutely love this performance
0: by Stray Theron. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, uh, authenticity in, uh, performance. If you're, if you're acting as a real person, I don't think getting it completely authentic to who exactly they are is the end all be all. I, I think if you're able to make it your own and emote through it, uh, that is enough for me. I think with Philip Seymour Hoffman going the extra mile and just fucking nailing the Capote impression, mm-hmm. I think that that definitely adds something to it. But it's not the deciding factor on a, on a good performance for me. So regardless uh, as to whether you know Ed, Edward Murrow actually sounded exactly like that, I believed uh, David Strathairn as a as just a suave, cool, calm, collected. Uh, broadcast journalist, I I really liked him in the role, regardless of what Murrow sounded like in real life.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I think with like a an average kind of person, and I I don't mean to say that Edward R. Murrow is average, but like when you have somebody that's so decidedly different and outside the norm as Truman Capote is, you have to nail his mannerisms and especially, obviously, that voice. Where you can you can play Edward R. Murrow. You know, as long as you get his, maybe his cadence or his his look right, then I think you're all fine. But otherwise, I, I, I agree. But, you know, someone as eccentric as Truman Capote, you really need to do the research and be like him.
0: That's, that's very fair. And I think it also probably has something to do with how well-known the person is as well. That's true. Like, yeah. like for example, when you're talking about, like, uh, off the top of my head, like Natalie Portman uh, playing Jackie Kennedy... Uh, Like, that's a a pretty televised and well-known person. Yeah. You definitely have to get that nailed. Or, uh, I I never saw, uh, what was that movie? Was it Josh Brolin, who played George W. Bush? Uh, W. Yeah, yeah. I, I never saw that movie, but I had heard he was pretty dead on. And, like, for a modern figure and a guy who was as televised as he was, you need to be dead on. But Edward Murrow, a guy from the 50s, you know, like, your average audience member, even... Even the Oscar crowd, who is the main people who are going to watch this movie, chances are not that familiar. I know it's a bunch of old fucks who are in the uh, in the Academy, but definitely less known than, than some other people. So I think we can get a pass, at least for not being completely authentic.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, which That's a perfect segue into the next part uh, about people not knowing. Because uh, George Clooney says that about 20% of the test audiences had never heard of Joseph McCarty. Before and wanted to know the identity of the actor playing him, which, of course, he was actually played by McCarthy himself as they used real footage of, Jen- yeah. of, of Joseph McCarthy. Um, the funny thing was, uh, and I've heard, I think it maybe, maybe I've listened to the commentary or I heard an interview, but George Clooney talked about how they were looking to try and cast somebody as Joseph McCarthy, but they figured that someone trying to play someone as evil and is out there as Joseph McCarthy would come across as cartoonish, and that's why he just decided to just use real footage. Yeah. Who would you have
0: cast out of curiosity if you had to? On If, if uh, off the top of my head, honestly, it'd be Joe Pesci. Ooh, that's a good one. I I wasn't thinking of Joe Pesci, but I like that. Yeah. I, uh, for some reason, the first name that came to mind was John Goodman.
1: Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, one, I like good. Pesci better. Yeah. Um couple other things, this one made me laugh um, I, me- I mentioned the budget is $7 million, so George Clooney was paid $1 each for writing, directing, and starring in the film, and this helped keep the film's cost low Wow. Um, and then this this um, I liked as well, uh, most of the text of Edward R. Murrow's speech bookending the movie is taken word for word from the actual keynote address he delivered to the 1958 RTNDA convention The actual conclusion to the speech after Murrow's line about television, used strictly for entertainment rather than education, being nothing more than wires and lights in a box, went as follows. There is a great and perhaps decisive battle to be fought against ignorance, intolerance, and indifference. This weapon of television could be useful. Stonewall Jackson, who knew something about the use of weapons, is reported to have said, when war comes, you must draw the sword and throw away the scabbard. The trouble with television is that it's rusting in the scabbard during a battle for survival.
0: a pretty dark quote right there i I know right (laughs) just gotta take a second to digest it i'm also trying to look up a quote uh myself from richard Feynman that i think uh encapsulates it um encapsulates the theme of this movie rather um yeah here it is uh this is a quote i love from uh an old uh, science professor richard Feynman, uh, an old physicist says to every man is given the key to the gates of heaven the same key opens the gates of hell and I, I think he said that about uh, nuclear power, uh, how, he, how you know you can use it for power plants or you can use it for a nuclear bomb. I think the same can be said about television, uh, and that's really what this movie is trying to say, is that this medium of television can be used to do what McCarthy did and create fear and havoc and div- uh, divisiveness, um, or it can be used to inform and uh, and create entertainment as well. Uh, so I think this movie is not an indictment of tv nor is it a promotion of it i think it's somewhere in the middle it's just saying this this medium is really what you make it and hopefully we as humanity decide to use it for good which uh again very few relevant themes to today in 2018 where we live in a utopian society but of course you know back then in the 50s it was quite relevant
1: yeah uh, i i would love to i, I just want to give out two more edward R. Murrell quotes and then we're going to dive into the movie for sure. Um, I saw these. Um, one is uh, to be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. credible, we must be truthful. And then the other one, uh, this one kind of made me laugh, because uh, I really like it. Uh, just because your voice reaches halfway around the world doesn't mean you are wiser than when it reached only to the end of the bar. That's very that, I like that. That's a lot. <laughs> um, this movie, um, when I saw it when it came out. Um, I loved it. Um, I was excited to rewatch this. I hadn't probably seen it in at least t- about probably about ten years, actually. Um, and rewatching it, uh, I fell in love with it again. Um, uh, m- on the back of Strathern's performance as Edward R. Murrow and the ideals that he upholds, it's movies like this and that really make me wish that we had. Mm, broadcast journalists with this kind of integrity nowadays and the ability to stand up um, the way that they could back then. Um, Unfortunately, nowadays, uh, obviously, our our broadcast television is uh, governed by the almighty dollar. Um, So people with this kind of uh, moral compass um, generally aren't really going to be able to stand out and make... A network, any money, um, I, I, and, and I would, I, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, because seeing um, this kind of man do what he did and, and stand up to somebody that could have really ended his career and, and made the rest of his life difficult uh, was noble, and it was he saw a
0: wrong and an injustice being done and wanted to do something about it. Yeah, uh, no disagreement there. It's definitely weird looking at uh, if you turn on the TV today and watch the news, and then you watch this movie, and then you watch the news again. How it's almost alien from what we see now. The the twenty four hour news cycle has just completely changed what news is, and really we're in we're in the world of news entertainment now. Um, it, it this movie definitely makes you long for a day when. Uh, when journalism was it had a little bit more integrity in it i I don't know if that's just the way it's portrayed it very well might be it might be naive to you know long for long for days past uh that didn't quite exist but at the very least this is a this movie is a very good portrayal of one journalist one man who had some integrity and tried to do some good in the world and It's a little pessimistic to say so, but it feels lacking uh, in 2018.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and, um, yeah, it's it's just it's for me it's just a a fantastic movie from start to finish. It moves along at a brisk pace. I agree with what you said. You know, the B plots um, aren't that strong, um, but they don't really focus too much time on it um, to really reduce this movie or 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 to make it less. It's it's a tight hour and a half run time they tell their story they get out um and again for me the cinematography in this movie is just spectacular what the hell won? like because this movie's just so gorgeous <laughs> look it up
0: would it have been broke back mm,
1: is that what i said no oh memoirs of
0: a geisha mm. which i also haven't seen
1: yeah. um yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know what else I, I want to say. Like, uh, straight Aaron's great in it. George Clooney is George Clooney. Um, it's funny seeing Robert Downey Jr. He's so young, um, and yeah, that's. I I, that, I I was wondering what you were gonna think when you saw him or you saw his name in this movie, mm. thinking like this is bef- this is well before Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. So. Thinking that he was going to be, you know, George Clooney's in the lead, Robert Downey's the second lead, and Robert Downey's, you know, I, he's like fifth build in this movie, and he doesn't really have a lot, um, but uh, he's he's good in it. And uh, but uh, everybody's good in this movie. Uh, Frank Langella
0: um, as the owner or the CEO of CBS is just fantastic. Yeah, um, I like I liked him as well. Um, on the note of Robert Downey Jr., isn't it insane in retrospect? in retrospect, to think that that guy made so much fucking money and became such a big star and nobody knew it at the time. Nobody... He's arguably the biggest star in Hollywood. Arguably. Yeah. Today. Um, and, like, yeah, like you said, he's 5th build behind, you know, George Clooney, who's barely in anything anymore. You know, you got David Strathairn, who, like, who? <laughs> it was my reaction <laughs> to him. He's billed probably... Like, just above Jeff Daniels no nope, below <laughs> below yeah. yeah okay yeah there you go and you know so it, it's pretty funny actually um just uh, how the world the world never the world didn't know at this point what was what was on the way
1: yeah um final thoughts and good night and good luck
0: final thoughts i was uh, this movie was a surprise for me uh it was completely off my radar i mean looking you know it was a 7 million dollar budget 56 million dollar box office it really completely was not on my radar in the slightest. And I'm really glad I got a chance to watch it because it has a lot of interesting things to say about the media and about government and about the responsibility of the media to keep the government in check and the responsibility of us as a society to decide how we want to use this thing called television. It's, it's a really uh, smart movie. It's a really uh, short and uh, dense movie. It's really tightly packed. Um, excellent performances all, all across the bill, especially at the, right at the top with David Strathairn, uh, who, again, I did not know who this person was <laughs> and, <laughs> and he, uh, knocked it out of the park. So overall I was really quite impressed with this movie that again, I had never heard of before.
1: Oh, that honestly just warms my heart. This is, this is one of the ones I was excited, uh, excited for you to watch. Um, because I, 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 knew when we were talking about this, uh, um, a couple months ago, when we planned this episode, uh, you're like, "Oh, I've never even heard of that movie," and I was like, "Oh, I hope he likes it." Um,
0: no, definitely, definitely did.
1: Perfect for me. Good night and good luck. Um, is one of my favorite movies of this of this year. Um, I, I I love the direction. I love the performances. I love the cinematography and the score. The the jazz music uh, is just phenomenal. Um, it's just a, it's just a a, a nice easy to watch movie. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, it's one of the things that I really like about this movie. For those people that don't know anything about Joseph McCarthy, um, this movie assumes that you do. And so if you don't know about the Red Scare or what Senator Joseph McCarthy was doing, this movie might not have the impact that it should Um but I like that it doesn't try to dumb it down. It doesn't go into the history of what Joseph McCarthy does. It doesn't try to explain what the Red Scare is. Um, I, I, I like that about it. I like movies that don't dumb down for the audience.
0: Well, it has it has one title card at the beginning, right? Essentially just yeah. explaining uh, the, the taboo that came with any perceived association with the Communist Party or Socialist Party. Yeah yeah Yeah. that's about it if you're not paying attention to that moment if you're out taking a piss or grabbing popcorn well fuck you You're, you're not gonna not gonna know what's going on for most of the movie
1: yeah um your favorite scene
0: um i mean there's just a number of good uh good monologues from uh ed murrow in this movie Um, I would say uh, it's it's the closing monologue where he's at uh, he's giving a speech to the radio and television news directors association, which I totally had memorized and did not just read off Wikipedia. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I I think that final that final speech where I I don't have it in front of me, but he essentially just talks about the responsibility of the news media to uh, to hold the government in check and to decide to do some good with the power that they've been given I thought that was a really nice uh, bow to put on the movie, and uh, it, it definitely affected me. I, I very much enjoyed that scene.
1: I'm with you. That's mine as well. The, the closing monologue is uh, fantastic. Um, it's, it's just a great... I like how it bookended the movie. It's how they started and how they ended. Um, it's, again, it's a, it's a great performance by David, David Strathairn. Unfortunately, this year he was up against a couple of powerhouse performances from Hoffman and Ledger. So he didn't really stand much of a chance, um, but it's 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 a great it's a great movie, great performance. Uh, I highly recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, the last of our uh, best picture nominees. Uh, it is Munich, uh, directed by this up and comer named Steven Spielberg. Uh,
0: yeah, I heard he never made anything of himself. Actually, I yeah. don't think he's. Been a- much since this one it's too bad <laughs> the kid it, had some promise he
1: did have some promises too bad he didn't fulfill it uh yeah. the, <clears throat> the writers are tony kushner and eric roth uh it had a 74 meta score it had a budget of 70 million dollars uh, it grossed 47 in the u.s and 130 worldwide uh it didn't win anything at this year's oscar uh, but it was nominated for best picture best director best adapted screenplay best editing and best score samuel <laughs> munich Tell me yes. about it.
0: Well, uh I, I was sort of peripherally aware of what had happened in Ooh. Munich in nineteen seventy two.
1: Just before you oh. go, I forgot about okay. that. Uh the plot synopsis, based on the true story of the black September aftermath about the five men chosen to eliminate the ones responsible for that fateful day.
0: Yeah, so I was sort of I was my my knowledge of the Munich massacre was essentially that there was a massacre at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know any of the political motivations. I didn't really know uh, who was behind it or what the uh, international response to it was, the fallout. Uh, so I was really coming in blind with not a whole lot of knowledge. Again, basically knew that there was a massacre, and that was it. Um, I, I felt very much the opposite of Good Night and Good Luck in that... Uh, with Good Night and Good Luck, you probably need to have some prerequisite knowledge, whereas in Munich, I think it's not even really about the event so much, that it doesn't really matter quite so much. And they do a good job of fleshing out the political landscape at the time uh, between Israel and Palestine. Um, again, it's hard for us to imagine in 2018 what it was like for Israel and Palestine to be embroiled in, uh, <laughs> in war, but luckily that's all been solved and taken care of, so uh we're we're living in peacetime now uh, <laughs> uh. yeah um but ov- overall i i was quite impressed with munich um you see the name spielberg attached to anything you don't necessarily have the lowest expectations um i would sort of put this on the level of like a bridge of spies for uh for steven spielberg in that you know it's not this this movie didn't blow my mind it it didn't Completely affect me, but it was certainly an enjoyable ride from beginning to end. It's a pretty slow burn. You really got to get comfy with a bowl of popcorn for this one. Coming in at a uh, at a brisk 163 minutes, um, but yeah, I was I was pretty riveted most of the time. There are a couple of lulls, maybe, um, but uh, I, I thought <laughs> again we were talking about uh, the B list celebrities and crash. Like, who who would have thought? Like I I didn't realize that Eric Bana was the lead of this movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To be completely honest with you, I'm like, hey, it's Hulk, and like original Hulk, not (laughs) not not one of the new Hulks. Like Eric Bana getting the title role or getting the lead role, excuse me, in a Oscar or Best Picture nominee doesn't seem plausible to me. And we also get Daniel Craig in this movie. We get. Syrian Hines, a.k.a. Mance Raider from, uh, from I Game I
1: knew Th- you were going to make a Game of Thrones <laughs> reference.
0: <laughs> I had to. Had to make a Game of Thrones reference there. So yeah, so a semi-decent cast, actually. Um, and it, it, it was pretty interesting. I think of the five movies, it's probably right smack dab in the middle for enjoyability to me. It's not as good as Good Night and Good Luck, uh, at least in my books. And it's a little bit better than Crash is. It's sort, it was sort of the, uh, the middle child of this year, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I can get that. Um <clears throat> I'm a big fan of Munich. Um, but as I've mentioned numerous times before, I'm a Spielberg whore. Um pretty much I, I it's been a while well, I shouldn't say it's been a while, I was gonna say it's been a while since Spielberg's done something I didn't like, that's not true. I fucking hated the BFG, that was actually hard to watch. Um <sighs> But for the most part, uh Spielberg makes a movie. I'm going there probably opening weekend, um, and I'm probably gonna love it um and this was <clears throat> this was no exception it is a long movie it's you know it's 2 hours and 44 minutes um it's a long take the funny thing is is that i actually don't notice how long it is despite some of the slow parts in it um he tells such a he's such a great storyteller i don't notice when his movies go long um it is it it it, it is really driven this movie is definitely driven by this screenplay um, because there's no standout performances, everyone's just good, but there's there's no there's no there's no big Oscar-worthy performances. This is a, a true ensemble movie um, that's about the movie and the plot itself, and not about the stars or the actors in it. Um, the the the. The nominations it's got with picture, director, adapted screenplay, editing, and score; those are all worthy. The editing in this is fine because he really knows how to rack up the tension, um, especially with that foam bomb scene. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, you, you know the scene um, with the girl in the red dress at the bar, um, the bed bomb scene; like it, it's all it's just brilliant editing and and brilliant pacing by the master, by the master of cinema um yeah it, it's there's there's no the one thing i like is that there's in my opinion there's no bad acting in this movie but there's no great acting either it's just a it's like a, a middle of the road best picture nominee
0: yeah it's it's more about the story i guess it's about uh the the tr- the journey of just these seemingly regular guys to put themselves in danger and put themselves on the line for their country and overall if there is sort of an arc in this movie i guess it's eric banna's character's arc where he sort of learns to put himself and his family first over his country in a way um but in that sense i i didn't the the main thing in this movie wasn't the theme for me it it the movie I felt like was saying something and I was like, yeah, great hooray, but it was more about the ride. It was more about, uh, the, the planning and the precision. And really, I know you, you're a, you're Spielberg slut for sure. Um, but his filmmaking, Steven Spielberg in a way is the star of this movie. This movie is enjoyable for fans of film. Mostly in my opinion, it's there. There's just great direction. There's tension ratcheted up. The writing is quite good. Um, yeah, like you said, the the performances are neither stand out nor terrible. They are just uh, there in a way.
1: Yeah, they're just there. There, there's just there's nobody that really. Again, there's nobody that stands out in either direction. There's not anybody on screen at any time where you're cringing as they're talking, and there's nobody on screen at any time where you're just mesmerized by their performance. I agree. You put it perfectly, Sam. The star yeah. of this movie is Steven Spielberg's storytelling ability. It's almost like he's he's like he's like you know what? I'm gonna tell the story I want to tell. I'm gonna tell it with no stars because again, this is before Daniel Craig was. Uh, this was before Daniel Craig was Bond. I'm pretty sure. Um,
0: yeah, yeah uh Casino Royale was 06 and this was 05 right. Yeah.
1: So this is just before Daniel Craig's about to blow up. Banna had done The Hulk. I, he maybe also done Troy, but he's he's a, think- not an A-list star in any way shape or form. Um he just he's like I have a story to tell and I I think like he I think he purposely cast it this way. He's like I have a story to tell that needs the 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 focus of the story needs to be the story and not some movie star. And uh, he does it mesmerizingly well, as he pretty much always does. Um, and then, yeah, he just once again knows how to build uh, a great scene. Um, that foam bomb scene is a prime example of Spielberg, as
0: Spielberg at his best. Yeah, that. <laughs> let's talk about that phone bomb scene, because fuck me, that just completely... Uh, Glue, eyes glued to the screen in that scene. I don't even know how long it was. I lost all sense of time in that moment, mm-hmm. but there's just so many moments in that scene where he just finds little little shots and little moments to ratchet up the tension just a little bit more, and just at the very last second uh, uh, they managed to get, get it exactly right. By the way, I'm, I'm going to continue on to a side tangent. Yes. <laughs> fuck the bomb maker in this movie (laughs) the bomb maker is such a fuck up and they explain why he's such a fuck up but that doesn't change the fact that he's a huge fuck up in this movie and he nearly gets them all killed he nearly kills eric vanna and if i didn't know any better i'd say he was working for black september himself because that guy just (laughs) every fucking opportunity to just fuck up their whole operation and it just made me so mad at him that he just couldn't get a goddamn thing right. I think he fucks up three bombs and then decides to sit out one murder where they go to uh, the Netherlands to kill that one woman. I'm like, yeah, fucking great. Like, what help have you been? <laughs> yeah, I was I was mad at him for most of the movie. Yeah, You're hiding it so well. Um, yeah. yeah, tell us how you really feel, Sam. Right? Um,
1: yeah, the the phone bomb scene, and I'll, I'll just state I'll, it now I'll it's say easily that. it's easily my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah,
0: I don't think we're making any secret about it. It's the best scene in this movie by far. Yeah,
1: it is. It is again. It's just Spielberg at his best, crafting uh, and editing and and filming just a a fantastic little mini story within the story. Um, yeah, like I uh, I really don't know. Kind of really what else to, to kind of talk about. Like, there's just, um, in this movie is just, it's a, it's about the story it's trying to tell. And again, even though it's just under three hours, I honestly didn't feel like it was that long. At, at no time am I wondering when it's going to end. Um, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know really what you could cut out of this
0: movie. Um, um, for me, if, if I can uh, piggyback off that thought, yeah, uh, I would say uh, the Papa section, the part where uh, the part where Eric Bana goes to meet Papa. Okay, that's I, fine. Yeah, I, I didn't really care about that section, honestly. That's I, I know I'm, i definitely not opposed to long movies, but I am opposed to long movies for the sake of being long. Mm-hmm. And this, this struck me as a little bit of just filler. Like, I guess it's fleshing out the world, and but I didn't. If they had made it suspenseful, if they had made it, they had made him feel a little bit more danger. Because the only suspense I really got from this section is when he first gets into the car with, uh, with Louis. Uh, sorry, Louis, I guess. Uh, I, I love know. Louis. French was never my strong suit. Uh, French was never my fort, as they say. <laughs> <My> uh, pro- <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you liked that one. Oh, five comedy <laughs> points. Five comedy five. points. Probably the only laugh I got from are uh, the three people who are still listening at this point, and two of them are you and me uh, <laughs> um but yeah I, I really could have done without the Papa stuff unless they had decided to put him in some sort of danger at that dinner party i I don't know it was it was meh for me i hey, I can understand that yeah uh,
1: um okay i I like I don't really think there's much else to talk about I, one the one other scene that I liked a lot was the um was the girl in the red dress um, when she ends up killing uh, Carl? So, yeah. <laughs> when she ends up killing Carl, and then they go and kill her. Um, uh, that's it's it's a really great scene. But but yeah, the the foam bomb scene is, is the best. I also love the
0: bed bomb scene as well. Yeah. yeah, most of most of the scenes with the bombs were very exciting. Yes. Surprise. Yeah, a shocker, <laughs> right? Yeah, but. Uh... No, the if there's one thing about the murder of Carl that I, eh, I'm still deciding whether or not I liked it, was that Eric Bana knows he's in trouble because of perfume that he recognizes. Like that, that must be some like she must be wearing a fuck ton of perfume if uh, if he can smell it after she's left the room for that long. Uh, yeah, it, like I I guess I guess it works, but um other than that i loved the the carl death and i loved how uh you really felt uh the danger that eric bana felt like you you get this sinking feeling yourself like holy fuck he was almost just killed like he had decided to you know cheat on his wife or whatever he would have fucking died so they definitely did a good job of uh portraying that feeling that Eric Banna... And that's largely on Eric Banna's performance, which we haven't really been crazy about, but that was a good scene from him.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, Eric Banna's he's fine in this... Like we said, everybody in this movie is fine.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, um, speaking of uh, sex scenes in this movie, I was kind of weirded out by Eric Banna, like, visualizing the Black September guys dying as he's fucking his wife at the end of this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was like I know Steven Spielberg sometimes gets a little bit of criticism because uh, because of his family history. I mean, he's Jewish and he has obviously a lot of things to say about, uh, Israel and, uh, and Jews in general. Um, and like, obviously nobody can fault him for that, but in his defense of Israel, he kind of can have a tendency to create cartoon villains in his movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. Uh he can, some of his villains can come off as cartoonish. And then, this came off as like the other side of that. It was like, whoa, okay. It makes it, it, it just, makes it, you feel it, it, bad for his wife. Like not, yeah, not like, Eric Bannon's wife, Spielberg's
1: wife. Yeah. Like what's Spielberg thinking about when he's having sex with her?
0: Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> kinda of makes you kinda of makes you wonder. But uh yeah, the the sex scene at the end didn't really uh do anything for me. Yeah if it, anything like I, it was it was a little bit overacted by eric banna and a little bit underacted by uh whatever his counterpart's name is it was just it was really strongly edited and just intense it was i don't know i didn't like it, <laughs> it maybe uncomfortable that's fine but actually uh,
1: to, to actually go off of that um the scene of the uh, of black september uh, of the terrorists breaking into uh, and taking those hostages, and then um what went on in those in the dorms, and then what happened at the airport is harrowing um it always made me uh, it I was just i always wondered like what I would do if I was those athletes you know the, like a couple of them got away when the rooms were raided um a couple of them tried to fight back um it's- it's the chaos of the scene um, it was just well the chaos of the scene was well orchestrated on film um, it, it, again it's just Spielberg knowing how to tell a great story visually um, and then the, the all the bullshit that happens at the airport and why everything goes wrong um, I, I loved it I just wish it wasn't intercut with Eric Bana having sex
0: yeah, I didn't really need to see Eric Bana's O-Face, but that is that is forever etched into my memory, and I'll never be able to get an erection again. But that's all right. Um, I feel sorry for your girlfriend. <laughs> Very true. Um, I did like, if there's one last thing I can touch on, maybe before we get to final thoughts, um, it was uh, Eric Bana, uh, pre, uh, pre-mass murder-induced orgasm, uh, when he... Uh, just becomes really paranoid when he uh, gets off of duty. He starts sleeping in this closet, which is a great callback. I I liked that whole section. I really liked how they showed the huge effect that this mission had had on him Mm -hmm. mentally, and uh, they showed his PTSD um, and what it was like to be him. Uh, again, especially the sleeping in the closet thing that's just a, a great great callback to something mentioned earlier in the movie. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that
1: no I, I agree that is a that is a great scene uh, as well. you know he's walking with his daughter and sees the car um, and then yeah him him going going through everything in his room he's like if you can see him you know what he's thinking. He's like if I was trying to kill myself, like if I was trying to kill me in this room. How would I do it? And so he's trying to find the bomb. He's trying to find the way in that they would if they were – if he was their target. Like it's – he's just planning his own death and
0: trying to figure out how to prevent it. Yeah, completely agreed. That's a it's a great couple of scenes right there. And him uh, raiding the Israeli consulate as well and yelling at the, the poor – Poor Joe behind the desk. I yeah. work in customer t- service too, buddy. I feel you. <laughs> uh, my final thoughts on Munich. It's
1: it's uh, it's a Spielberg movie, so I of course enjoyed it. Um, even though it's long, I didn't notice it. Um, if you don't know anything about the about what happened in the Munich Olympic, uh, the Munich Olympics, um, it's not a prerequisite to enjoy this movie. This is all about what uh, the repercussions of what happened after Munich. Um, it's definitely worth checking out uh it was definitely worthy of its nomination,
0: yep completely agreed on all fronts really uh Spielberg is a uh, continues to be a masterful storyteller one of these days he'll get the recognition he deserves um I really like uh the message of this movie uh, it really indicts the the, the tip for tat that goes on in politics, and Eric is questioning uh, his superior at the end, like, you know, why are we even killing these guys if one more is just going to pop up in their place? And it's just critical of the whole game that's being played uh, politically, and uh, I really liked it. It was enjoyable from front to back. Um, decent performances all around. Um, yeah, pretty pretty good movie.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Um guess There's not really much more to say on that. Um, alright, so we've got all five best picture nominees wrapped up. Um let's get on with it. Uh the best picture winner was Crash, uh, in a stunning upset. Um, Sam, do you agree or disagree that Crash should have won Best Picture?
0: I think anybody who listened to the entire thing, and thank you if you did, by the way, but anyone who listened to the whole thing knows that it did not (laughs) and anybody who's seen crash and has seen all these nominees probably does not think that unless they work for the academy um crash did absolutely not deserve to win best picture it's not a bad movie it's definitely not as probably didn't deserve to be nominated in a better year and it certainly didn't deserve to win especially uh against the competition that it was
1: uh i agree with that wholeheartedly 12 years later, who is who should have won Best Picture, Sam?
0: Uh, that's an easy one for me. It's uh, it's Brokeback Mountain. That one is no surprise to anyone. It's uh, the movie that's had the most lasting cultural impact. It's the movie that makes most people feel the most emotion, which is what these movies are here for it, at the end of the day. It impacted me. It taught me something. It, uh, it's beautifully crafted both visually and the, from a storytelling perspective, the performances are incredible it has just about all the ingredients there you could hope for from a movie um, it's no contest for me, Brokeback
1: Mountain uh, I'm gonna piggyback on that as well uh, Brokeback Mountain um, with for me actually a, a, a close second behind it is Good Night and Good Luck um, yes. Good I business. I love Brokeback Mountain uh, I just think it's a stronger film um, and, and what you said it, it I feel it has more cultural relevance Um, It was revolutionary at its time, which sadly is only 12 years ago, Um, but uh, it really opened up the door, Um, and even though people still use Brokeback Mountain as a punchline for um, some homophobic remarks or or like to make a joke about it, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, To me, Brokeback Mountain is a brilliant piece of art um, by a brilliant uh, filmmaker in Ang Lee, um, easily. Uh, Brokeback Mountain, Best Picture, with twelve years history behind it.
0: Yeah. On, on that note, by the way, I can only imagine uh, what it would have been like to live in Calgary at that time. Of course, I grew up in Kamloops, but uh, I, again, I was a young kid when Brokeback Mountain came out, and being the young, stupid kid that I was, and we all were at one point. I mean, there's obviously yep. all all there was about five years where uh, all cowboys were mocked for being gay. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely one negative to come out of Brokeback Mountain, through no fault of its own, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we as a society have matured out of that slightly, at least uh, us up here in the north. Again, our kooky neighbors uh, still have some areas that need improvement, but you know, they'll get there. Yes. They'll get there. Um,
1: yeah, so uh, all in all, uh, I, I, enjoyed, um, I enjoyed watching four out of the five films. I, I obviously... I didn't really get much out of watching Capote again. Um, let's uh, let's just do something just a little different then, Sam. Uh, why don't we rank these movies top to bottom in order? I would love to. Okay. I would love
0: to. Fire away. Um, so Brokeback Mountain is easy number one. I think Good Night and Good Luck totally surprised me, but definitely coming in at number two for me. It's easily uh, the second most enjoyable uh, of the five. Munich I found to be... Uh, Quite enjoyable at number three. Crash had some some eye rolls in it, but enough redeeming qualities in it to squeak in at number four. Uh, far cry from the number one that the Academy decided it was, mind you. And then our old friend Truman Capote uh, definitely uh, gets a, gets a needs improvement on that one uh, and squeaks in at number five. Yeah, I, I have the exact same order as you. Broke back a, God, a, a sheer number one. On. Huh? <laughs> so What a boring show we were on. People want... <laughs> People want arguments. People want chaos. Yeah.
1: We're too Canadian. We're too Canadian.
0: Yeah, exactly. Wow, man, you're so smart. I agree with everything you say. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: so th- that wraps up our uh, our our uh, look back on the 78th Academy Awards. Um Next week we're going to be continuing on with our uh, guilty ple- our hidden gems and guilty pleasures. Um, so next week, Sam, uh, what happened with our uh, our tête-à-tête on uh, Quiz Up this
0: week? Manny won. <laughs> again, again. Oh, yeah. I don't you know, know what the problem is, Manny? You know what's, what the problem is? What's the problem? I'm too nice too good of a person I keep choosing these categories that I know you have me beat in but I just need to beat you in I should be picking Harry Potter every goddamn week (laughs) that should be the topic every week in our quizzes Uh, but no I keep picking uh, general movie trivia and uh, the 40 something year old Manny Manuel uses his experience and knowledge to crush me yet again and Manny what is the movie we will be watching next week without a hint of bitterness in my voice
1: well, since my uh, my win streak continues, I'm actually gonna have to take a look back and see uh, exactly uh, how long my winning streak is. But we're actually gonna stay in 1997, um, like we did for
0: Face Off.
1: We're gonna f- we're gonna watch David Fincher's The Game.
0: Ooh, interesting. Yes,
1: I. This is the this was the tipping point for me and my love for David Fincher. Um, it's a, uh, a thriller, um, by, uh, a man that I revere as possibly the best working director right now. I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's a hard, hard sell for me to pick between Fincher, Tarantino and Spielberg and, uh, and probably even Denis Villeneuve. So, uh, but Fincher, I'm a Fincher whore, like I'm a Spielberg slut, um, so, we're going to revisit uh, 1997's The Game.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, quickly pulling up the Wikipedia page right now. Um, should be no surprise that I know very little about this movie, it coming out the year after I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, looking at it right now, you know, you got uh, Michael Douglas, Sean Penn uh, in it, a couple big stars off the bat. Obviously, Fincher, uh, quite a talented individual, needs no introduction on this show. Um, yeah, I'm into it. I, uh, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to winning a fucking contest every once in a while. <laughs> Goddamn, drop this losing streak! It's frustrating, it's frustrating, Danny. I want to lo- watch the movies I want to watch.
1: <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, that's what I you, know get. you are. That's what you get for putting your name first in the in the podcast.
0: <laughs> um, you agreed to that title, you bastard. Oh, that's true. Here's the conflict that people wanted. <laughs>
1: Uh, all right. So that was, uh, that was such a fun episode. I fucking love when we do the Academy Board episodes. Uh, hopefully the next one isn't that far away. Um, Remember, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please give us a five-star rating and leave a little review as that will increase our profile so other people can find our little podcast. If you want to contact us, you can uh, like and follow us on Facebook. You can also contact us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, your questions, concerns, ideas for shows. We would love to hear from you. We'd listen and hear everything you guys are saying. Uh, the feedback we have gotten has been greatly appreciated, and I'd love to hear from you guys as always. So, for the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, I am one of your hosts, Manny Manuel.
0: And I suck at movie trivia, and I am Sam Reimer. <laughs> Adios!